Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and I'm very excited to be talking with Dr. Pooja Lakshman, a psychiatrist and the author of Real Self-Care. We're discussing why it's hard to escape toxic wellness culture and the difference between faux self-care and real self-care. Plus, Dr. Pooja explains her four principles of self-care that includes unique advice that even I haven't heard before on boundaries, guilt, and understanding your values. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Hi, Dr. Pooja. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Lauren. All right. So, you know, I think people probably can't miss the fact that it's been nearly impossible to go even a few days without coming across the term self-care. And I think it's a word that really encompasses any number of lifestyle choices and products. You know, there's always the juice cleanse and the yoga workshop to those luxury bamboo sheets that are swear they're going to help you sleep better. And self-care has really exploded as sort of this answer, I think, for practically every problem that you have. And I'm sure this is, you have a bone to pick with this. And I know that, you know, last time I took a bubble bath, it didn't fix all of my problems. So I want to talk about first, the contradiction between wellness and real self-care, and you are the pro at this. So can you talk about what is this like contradiction that's happening that you're seeing with this toxic wellness industry? And then like what you see as the answer, which is this real self-care. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, for folks who are listening in, I don't think it's news to anybody that wellness is completely broken. And that that wellness really, you know, kind of feels like a scam in 2023 when, you know, we've all been through a global pandemic for years and years. And we all know that, you know, there's any number of isms that are kind of plaguing us as women in particular, whether it's like patriarchy and sexism and, you know, the fact that you know, gosh, I lost count at this point of how many women have left the workforce during the pandemic, like millions, essentially, Mm -hmm. or whether it's white supremacy and racism. And, you know, like, for example, like the fact that a black woman needs to work for 19 months to make the same amount of money 
that a white man will make in 12 months, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, there are these structural inequities that are baked into American culture and society and into our workplace. And a bubble bath isn't going to fix that, right? And so for me as a psychiatrist, I wrote Real Self-Care because I had been seeing, so for two reasons. One, I've been on my own kind of wellness. I had had my own experience with wellness about a decade ago that really led me to unexpected places. And where at the end of it, I was like, oh, wellness never comes from the outside. Anybody who is selling you a product or a solution, they can never gift you the hard work of actual true well-being. Like the the bad news is that you can only give that to yourself. The good news is that you can give that to yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I would say like over the past like six or seven years in my clinical practice where I take care of women who are struggling with, you know, things like anxiety, depression, burnout, despair, and I prescribe medications and I also do psychotherapy with my patients. I was seeing more and more women come in and they're like, you know, like I'm burnt out. I'm probably depressed. I'm stressed. I'm not eating well. I'm not sleeping well. And I have this meditation app on my phone. So I feel like it's my fault that I feel this yeah. way because I never have time to meditate. And I know I should. Like it's supposed to just be as simple as meditating, but it's not. And so I wanted to just change the conversation and really just look closely at why it's not working. And then to provide a real sustainable path forward that as a woman, you can turn to and say, like, no, this isn't a juice cleanse. Like, no, this isn't a new diet, but it's a solution that is internally based. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a new language and a new narrative that I can start learning as opposed to just constantly beating myself up or yeah. not doing enough and yeah. feeling crappy. It's interesting. When I was writing my book, I in the very beginning, I talked about how when you feel that way, it's so easy to feel like you need to turn yourself into a human DIY project, right? Like if you can just fix that one thing, then all these other things will be fixed, which I know we're about to get into the difference between like faux or fake self-care and and real self-care. But this toxic wellness industry or just like toxic wellness messaging, it's very hard to escape because it's everywhere. And one of the things I have found with it, and, and I, I understand, is that when you can physically see and touch something as a solution, it feels really good. It feels like I downloaded the meditation app. I can meditate. And that makes me feel like I did something in that box today. Whereas like what I'm sure you're going to talk about is like sometimes stuff that you can't touch and see, but you feel it after a lot of work. So how do we escape this toxic wellness trend, which of course has turned into ultimately like in all like a capitalist society form. Like, of course, it's like a billion dollar industry. And, you know, of course, of course, of course. But like, how do we escape that? Do we just like not go on Instagram anymore? (laughs) Right. Um, You know, I don't know that there's an escape to it. I think that I think once you see it for what it is, it becomes easier to recognize that it's all a sales pitch. Yeah. Or that there are just, it's just constant sales. It's like good branding, good copywriting, like decent product, whatever. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, kind of coming back to sort of the lens I I take as a psychiatrist, like I'm not trying to shame anybody here because 
you know, it's so much easier when you see this like Instagram ad that has like this great branding. It's like pretty beige. It's like a great typeface. And it's telling <laughs> yeah. you, right, that there's these like vitamins that are going to help cure your anxiety. And it's delivered in 24 hours right to your doorstep. It's so much easier to click buy than it is to like call your insurance company and fight to try and get your therapy sessions yeah. covered. Right. Yeah. So like it's like I think what you know, in real self-care, what I'm doing also is I'm pointing out the distinction between the quick fixes, which might make you feel better in the moment and give you the illusion of control versus the long-term sustainable work that is going to feel more difficult potentially in the moment, but is actually going to be the building blocks of well-being that lasts so much longer than these faux solutions. And so kind of getting to your point of like, well, what is the difference between faux self-care versus real self-care? I'll kind of give an example. So like I have a patient who came to understand that swimming was something that really, really helped her physical and mental health. And if she did laps two times a week at the pool, she just felt so much better. And so I make a distinction in the book between tools So swimming would be a tool, but all of the decision-making. So she had to basically change her whole schedule so that she could get to the pool two times a week. So all of that sort of behind the scenes work of her setting boundaries, making different decisions about her commute, the time that she spent, right? That is actually the real self-care, right? So that's the work that is self-based and internal because real self-care is about decision-making. The tool, whether it's swimming or whether it's like running or whether it's, it might be meditation, right? Yeah, it might the be tool, watching Bravo. Like, right, it might be watching Bravo, right? The tool is gonna be different for everybody. The tool is also gonna be different for different seasons of your life. You know, mm-hmm. when you're in your 20s, the amount of discretionary time that yeah. you have is very different than when you're in your 30s and 40s and maybe you have a family and kids and blah, blah, blah. So what I'm doing in real self-care is I'm saying, okay, we have all these tools, but we have not yet been taught the actual principles and the perspective. And that's the reason that the tools feel so burdensome. So that's the reason why here's another example that happens to me all the time. You know, you finally make an hour of time so that you can go get a massage. And then you spend the whole time on the massage table worried about your to-do list and feeling yeah. like after you get back to your desk, you have to make up for the fact yeah. that you weren't there for an hour. Right. So, so that, no, like, so that doesn't, that's not helpful. And the reason that doesn't work is because you haven't done the internal principle work of real self-care to get to a place where you can actually have the tool. Does this mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Like you, you're, you haven't done the work so that you can have the hour off without being worried about your to-do list. No, it makes, a. I mean, I relate to both of those examples perfectly because the few times I know one time I went and got a pedicure, but I brought my computer with me. Cause I was like, well, I have to do this thing. I was like going on vacation. I was like, if I have to get my nails made, but I was like, I can't go without taking my computer. Cause I would feel guilty about taking this hour out of the day. You know, like that's a bad example, but I think no, it that's really a great aligns example. Exactly. with like, Yeah. The anxiety that came with that and the feeling of like, and also this is interesting because you've got these two competing cultures that come at you, which is the hustle culture and the wellness, you know, the quick fix wellness culture. And it's a really tough combo for women, I think, especially because we already have too much on our plate, you know? So that makes a lot of sense to me. 
Hi, everyone. It's Aaliyah hopping in really quick to talk about today's sponsor. If you feel unfulfilled or anxious about your career future, then a career change might be right for you, but it can feel intimidating to start from scratch. That's why I'm excited to talk about our sponsor today, the Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business. The Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business is the perfect place for women who aspire to transform themselves both personally and professionally. With Scheller's world-class business education, you'll be learning from the brightest minds at the intersection of business and technology, giving you infinite opportunities to grow and advance your career. Scheller is committed to supporting the growth and development of their students, and it shows. Their full-time evening and executive MBA programs are consistently ranked in the top 20 in the nation, giving you access to the best education and resources to help you reach your goals. Located in the heart of Atlanta's Tech Square, Scheller is surrounded by the highest density of startups, corporate innovators, and researchers in the Southeastern United States. This unique location provides students with invaluable opportunities to connect with industry leaders and gain real-world experience. Scheller's MBA career services are ranked in the top five in the world. In fact, their class of 2022 graduates had a 100% employment rate. Scheller's commitment to your success doesn't end with lectures and graduation. They offer student-led clubs, committees, events, and leadership development programs that will help you build your leadership skills and take your career to the next level. The Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business believes in investing in your future. They offer many scholarships for women to make your MBA education accessible. So what are you waiting for? Join the Scheller community and let them help you unlock your potential. Visit gtmbawomen.com to learn more about Scheller's MBA programs. That's gtmbawomen.com to learn more. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays, subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the Birds Papaya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. One of the things I know you talked a lot about in your book too is with the faux self-care and why it's hard to resist the seduction of this is you talked about there's escape, achievement, and optimization. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so this is chapter two of the book where I really kind of try and dig into these three methods or tools for faux self-care and it comes out of my clinical practice and sort of each bucket is sort of an archetype of how we end up turning to faux self-care. Mm-hmm. And to be totally clear, I do this myself all the time. Like it's not like something you can avoid because it's just baked into our culture. You know, the yeah. escape is the person that, you know, is sort of burnt out kind of perpetually, but will run off to like a yoga retreat a couple times a year. And be great when they're on the retreat, because when you're on a retreat, you don't have to actually make any decisions, right? right? So you can feel good during that time. Everything's planned for you. But then when you come back to your regular life, you feel crushed again, right? right? And the achievement is sort of that, that's the person that you're in the yoga class and you're just wanting to make sure that you have the right Lululemon leggings. And like, you're comprising your headstand to everyone else's headstand. <laughs> like it's like sort of perform. And I'm saying this like a little bit snarkily, but the reality is that in my practice, and I've been there too, you know, I got really into yoga when I was in med school in the beginning, it was a good thing. I felt really good about my body. I felt really strong, but then I 
brought this like perfectionistic mindset that I yeah was the same mindset that took me to medical school, but then it, I took it to yoga. Right. And then I felt bad about myself because I couldn't keep up with the super rigid yeah. schedule I had made for myself with yoga. And the tool then had morphed into something that wasn't healthy and wasn't right. helpful. Right. The last one there is optimization. And I think, you know, when I was conceptualizing this, this one felt like the most surprising to me. So the optimization is that's the, like, that's like the meal delivery kits. Like it's sort of like the life hacking, all the stuff yeah. that promises to you, like, oh, I'll give you back an hour of your day. And once you have this time saver, then you're going to have that hour to do whatever you want with. The problem is that many of my patients, they never actually put that hour back into themselves. Yeah. They just sort of like end up on this like hamster wheel of like finding the best system, finding the best productivity hack, you know, like the bullet journals, like whatever yeah. the thing is. Yeah. To be like completely transparent, I have like a, a box in my closet of bullet journals that all look like very pretty that I've never actually used, but you know that I bought all them, right? Because I have like the best intentions of like, oh, this yeah. is going to be the thing that makes yeah. me feel like I'm in control of my time. So again, like these are the ways that, and you might find yourself you know, I have different exercises and there's, there's a real self-care thermometer too, where you can sort of go through to, to sort of get a sense of where are you on the scale. And, you know, it's not to shame anybody because we all turn to these solutions. And that's why I also say that it's seductive. It is seductive yeah. it's everywhere. And in the moment, it feels good. Like you were saying, it feels great to buy something tangible to kind of feel like you've found the thing and like, mm -hmm. okay, everything's going to be better now. But we all know that it's just not that yeah, easy. The quick fix is there. Is, <laughs> it's like, there's no overnight success. There are no, there's no quick fix. We talk a lot about that on the podcast. And even in my book, I talked about that. I was like, people want this like career success or they want to know the answer. And it just doesn't work like that. And if it does work like that, you, you have to do, you know, your mom would have told you if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And those are the questions you have to ask. So I have a feeling we're very aligned on this, but talk about, so Okay. We've talked a little bit about how you can sort of recognize if something is falling into this faux self-care world. And I think you're right. I think if you can know what the faux self-care is, then you can almost use it as like a filtering system to be like, okay, these are my tools. Which of these tools are faux self-care? Which of these are real self-care? But now let's talk about the principles because none of this works very well if you don't build this like foundation. So you've got four principles. Can you talk yes. about them? So there's four principles of real self-care. The first is setting boundaries and understanding how to deal with guilt. The second is developing self-compassion in the way that you talk to yourself. The third is getting clear on your values. And for that, I've created the real self-care compass, which is a tool that, and an exercise that helps you begin to name and identify your values. And then finally, the last principle is that that this whole process is all about power and reclaiming power and you taking back your time and you practicing real self-care is ultimately the way that women in particular can take back power and agency from these oppressive systems. And also that for those of us that do have privilege to be able to put back energy and resources into communities that have less. So whether it's mm -hmm. women of color or immigrants or you know, understanding that everybody has a different amount of ability to choose when it comes yeah. to self-care. I want to talk about your first principle, which is about setting boundaries, because 
I think setting boundaries is something we hear a lot about, especially at work. And then the whole, but then don't feel guilty nonstop after you do it. I think that is incredibly hard. And there's this feeling of like, when you do first start setting boundaries, you do get a little pushback because you haven't done it. And so there's this natural, whether someone on the other end would call it pushback or not, that's what it feels like. So naturally the guilt comes. Can you give us some advice on how to start setting boundaries without feeling guilty and overanalyzing it? And to your point, then going into either going back on our boundaries or negative self-talk, you know? Yeah. So I have two things on this. One is that my conceptualization of guilt is that we actually can't ever get rid of it, unfortunately. So I actually, I really hate when people say, don't feel guilty because like, of course you're going to feel guilty. Yeah. Like you're human, right? And the idea of making decisions based on how much guilt you feel is actually hugely disempowering. So instead, I think about guilt as like a faulty check engine light. It's like that check engine light that, you know, is broken, but it's just always sort of always there. (laughs) Um, It doesn't give you any meaningful information. So instead, I think of it as like, instead of turning it off, it's not an on off switch. It's a volume dial, right? The guilt can be there. Great. The guilt gets there. Like, awesome. Like hang out. But you don't have to let guilt be your moral compass. Because paradoxically, what happens is when you spend all your time trying not to feel guilty, then you're still actually controlled by the guilt, right? So Mm -hmm. for women, I think it's more about just turning the volume down, understanding that it can be there, it can hang out. It doesn't actually mean anything about you. It's not a moral judgment. It actually, my conceptualization too of guilt really comes from the work of Martha Beck, who is Oprah's life coach. And, you know, she's a best-selling author. I love all of her work. She, and she actually wrote a a lovely blurb for Real Self-Care. She talks about guilt as it's actually just environmental noise because women in particular are fed these toxic, contradictory narratives from our society and from our culture. So you can never make everybody happy. And so as women, we just internalize that as guilt, right? Because no matter where you look, you're always being told that you're doing something wrong. So again, taking back your power and saying like, I don't need to listen to that. I don't need to let that be running my life. The other thing that I'll say when it comes to setting boundaries is the biggest place that I see patients get stuck on this topic is not understanding that there's two parallel processes that have to happen when you set boundaries. The first process is just incredibly like operational. Like you just have to clearly communicate what you need, what works, you know, your yes or your no or negotiate. That's just a clear communication. And you, you know, there's lots of tools that you can use to understand how to like send the right email or text message or how to do that. But the other process that this is the hard one is the feelings, right? And that's where the guilt comes up the person that you're setting a boundary with can't make you feel better. Like you can't go to the person that you're setting the boundary with and then expect them to take care of your feelings. You have to have a separate person, whether that is an advisor, a coach, a therapist, a good friend who's non-judgmental. Like you need a separate third party. That third party can be your emotional support person. But the person that you're setting boundaries with is never going to be like, great job, good job for (laughs) not doing the thing that I really wanted you to do, right? 
And like you were saying, Lauren, like before, if you've never set boundaries before, there's going to be pushback. Like they're going to be a little pissy. Like they're going to be disappointed and that's to be expected, but you shouldn't expect them to then be, um, make it all okay with you. Make it all okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. That's really interesting. You have also one of your principles is about values. And this is another thing that comes up a lot at work or when we're giving career advice, it's like, try to find a company that aligns with your values. And I think people always, <laughs> the very first thing is they're like, I don't know what my values are. What advice do you give to women who are trying to build these principles of real self-care when maybe that's their question too? Like, how do they determine what their values are, especially when external validation. So like looking to other people or other things. So, you know, resumes are a big one, right? Like how impressive is your resume? That is your validation, which then can sometimes be when you don't know ends up guiding your values, which is like, again, that's like this bad seesaw of like, you know, one feeds the other. So how, how would like, what's your advice on like how to determine your values, get clear on them and like turn off the, the external validation need. Yeah, that's a great question. In chapter seven of the book, I go through multiple exercises for understanding your values and getting connected to your values. And it's interesting because I think when you ask somebody, what are your values? And you just put it very direct. Most people, like their mind does go blank. I think that's a really hard way to really identify values. And so in, so in the, in, in real self-care, all of my exercises are actually really indirect. So here's one example. One of them is um, imagine that you are throwing a dinner party for yourself and you only have $200. And so, you know, just kind of fantasize of like, okay, you have $200 for this dinner party. What is it going to be like? You know, are you going to make people dress up? Are there going to be costumes? Is it going to be a potluck? Is it going to be at your house? Is it going to be at a park? And and then also just think about the fact that like no two people are going to have the same $200 dinner party. Yeah. So that's like sort of a little taste of getting sort of clear on what uniquely makes me mean. So like a value is something like, and I think this is also an important piece too, is that values are adjectives. So a value is like silly. Like I really value silliness. I love laughing, right? That's Mm -hmm. something that is really important to me. Or like a value is connection, right? I really want, I I thrive in relationships where I feel like there is a give and take and I feel really met, right? So if you notice like a lot of those words, those two words are like pretty, I was to say like value neutral, right? Like they're like really internally based. So it's really in terms of getting clear on your values, it's like really kind of imagining new scenarios and thinking about how you would come to them and how, what makes them uniquely you also thinking about sort of like past moments in your life that were really fulfilling. The exercises in real self-care are really reflective and question-based because again, this isn't about giving you another set of ideals or rules or, you know, things to follow. It's more about just having a different type of conversation with yourself, kind of like moving through some of those layers so that the conversation that you're having with yourself feels a little bit deeper than maybe some of the other kind of typical advice that you would get. Yeah. I don't know. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think you're, I like your first point of just like, maybe don't ask yourself the question, like, what are my values? Start with so many other questions. And I think you start to recognize patterns too. And I think 
being able to recognize how you feel about something. Another thing that's I've noticed about myself recently is like, if I can take what, how I'm feeling and somehow articulate it into words. And if I kind of slowly keep track of that stuff, whether you have a journal, which again is a tool, it can also help you get closer to understanding what are your values? Because I also think that emotions tell you a lot, but it's hard. Like you have to somehow find the way or the words to articulate it. And sometimes that just takes time as well. So I think, I think that is really important when it comes to understanding your values. Now, in terms of like, okay, if you value silliness, how do you translate that to a company and a job? It might be, you know, working for a company where, you know, they're, they've got some policy about like, not about like, oh, we're all a family. And on Fridays we get to wear jeans, but maybe it's like, look, if you mess up, it's okay. Like we, you know, like whatever, let's say they have some sort of value system about like, we allow people to mess up and that's all right. Maybe that's not like a direct line to silliness, but maybe it's a, we are okay with mistakes happening and therefore we take our work seriously, but we don't have to take ourselves that seriously in the sense of like, we're not actually saving lives. Like, yes, this is important, but like at the end of the day, we have a realistic perspective. I just pulled that out of my hat. So my point is, is like, you can somehow try to look at the values that companies use to describe themselves and sort of try to connect those thoughts. Because I also think real self-care ultimately is going to matter for where you work because you spend so many hours a day within the work, within the people you work with. And that's why toxic workplaces and toxic bosses, I'm sure is something you see a lot in your practice too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think on that topic, even with like something like silliness, like it could even be specific to one particular workplace. It could also just be in how you think about your work life in general. Like Mm -hmm. maybe you're somebody who in if silliness is a value or like spontaneity is a value, maybe that means that being freelance, if freelance is an option, right? So you have more time and flexibility to find other venues and other spaces to bring out different parts of your personality. I'll say for me, I graduated from psychiatry residency in 2016 and came on the full-time faculty at GW for three years. And that was like, sort of like, you know, the, the, the hardcore academic, research-oriented type track. And I, I realized after being there for three years that that didn't, that wasn't fulfilling to me because my values were really in self-expression. I really yeah. like to be connected authentically. And for me, that took the form of social media and then ultimately writing for the New York Times and writing for the popular press, leading to writing this book. And that wasn't going to really be sort of like the buttoned up academic environment was never going to be the right fit for me. So I started a private practice. But again, bring it back to systems. I could do that because I had a partner who had a stable employed job and I got my health insurance through him. I'm a physician. So I was able to, you know, I had income stability. I took a pay cut for a year while I was building my practice and I was able to do that. Right. So like there's also so many structural pieces too that I think are really important to be aware of when you're in this phase of life. And the other thing I would say is like, it also, it doesn't just happen in a year. It doesn't happen in just two years. Like you were saying, there's no overnight success. Like this is the type of thing that when you start having these conversations with yourself at maybe age like 27, 28, when you're 32, you will then be in the right setup. Right. But it's like, you have to put all of these bricks into place and it's so worth it. It is 100% worth it. Yeah but just also knowing that it takes time to get there. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, 
I want you to leave us with one piece of real self-care advice or something you find yourself saying a lot in your practice. What's something (laughs) you're like over and over again, this is my thing when it comes to real self-care. Let's see. I would say that there is no perfection, even with real self-care. You know, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm the author of real self-care and I mess up all the time. I will go like weeks and be bad at boundaries, right? Like this is really, this is a journey in every season of your life you'll be sort of like learning a new way to apply the real self-care message to the set of decisions that you have, the life circumstances that you have. I see real self-care is it really is embedded in all the decisions that you make, whether it's about your career and how you navigate your career as somebody who's ambitious. It's about the partner that you choose, right? If you have a partner or if you're, you know, getting serious with your partner and like the type of life that you want to have with a partner and like in each of these big life decisions, there is a way to come to it from the real self-care lens. And yeah, but I also just want people to know that it's not just something that you kind of check off the list and then you're like, okay, I'm done. I did real self-care. It's like, well, no, this is, it's kind of like a, a lifelong process of learning. So yeah. All the good stuff is all the important stuff is that's something I've definitely have taken away from this show is like the good things worth having are going to be just working process all the time, but that's, that's really important. I think also thank you for helping us to just like recognize and talk about that toxic wellness industry is a thing and hustle culture and all these things have been packaged up and they're easy to sell. And the hard stuff is hard to sell for a reason, which is why it's not as much, but speaking of things to sell, tell people where they can (laughs) order your book. It's called real self care. Follow you. You guys, I really, really recommend this book, not just because you're on the show, but also because you do have exercises in there for things like values, setting boundaries and I think it's really nice to have a physical book to be able to turn to over and over again when you find yourself sort of dipping. And I would even like turn this into a like book club with friends and like, then how can you hold each other accountable? That's my unsolicited advice on how to do more with this that nobody asked for, but I hope you guys think about it. So tell them, yes, where they can find you, order your book, all the things. Yes. So the book is called Real Self-Care, a transformative program for redefining wellness crystals, cleanses, and bubble baths not included. You can buy it in all the places that you can get books, Amazon, bookshop.org. I did also record the audiobook and that's on nice. Audible. And so I read it. So if you want to feel like you're like in session with me, that's a great way. And then I'm on Instagram at Pooja Lakshman. My website is poojalakshman.com. And then my women's mental health community that I founded with two other physicians is called Gemma. G-E-M-M-A, and we are at GemmaWomen.com, and we have lots of resources there, community courses, therapy takeaway, which is our email list. So yeah, I really hope that folks that are listening, I hope that you check out the book. I would love to hear from you on Instagram. And thank you so much, Lauren, for having me. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast please consider rating and reviewing our show. It really helps us a lot because the podcast algorithms say, hey, this show is awesome. Let's make sure we recommend it to more people when you do that. So we're always very thankful. We've linked to all of Dr. Pooja's information in the show notes, including her new book, Real Self-Care, that you can pre-order right now. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.